What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk and I'm John Hodge. And today... We're discussing the retirement of J.P. Bolduc. Lisa McLeod's return to play framework for Ontario pro sports teams. Craig Dickinson's warning to unprepared players. Some possible joint practices between the Bombers and Riders. And some comments from Paul Apolise and Matt Nichols. But first, Dunkster, the CFL Board of Governors voted unanimously in favor of playing a 14-game season in 2021, beginning on August 5th and culminating in the Great Cup in Hamilton on December 12th. How do you feel about finally knowing that we'll get to see some three-down football in 2021? First of all, buddy, it's amazing, and you were adamant that we lead the show with football, and I agree. It's time to put aside the politics, put aside COVID-19, and focus on some actual Canadian football. It feels a little weird, though, buddy, because we've had so long off. I believe it's, what, over five or 600 days since the last CFL game was played? Man, it's been too long, to be quite honest. It really has. And, you know, I've been known to complain from time to time about CBA negotiations because when the CFL and the CFLPA are duking it out to try to hash out a new collective bargaining agreement... I don't feel like a football reporter. I feel like a business reporter. And frankly, I have no interest in covering business. I'm in this, I'm in this industry to cover football. And, uh, as, as bad as CBA negotiations can be, obviously the pandemic has been a hundred times worse. Um, obviously we're not going to get into all the, you know, the, the medical side and everything, but just from a CFL football perspective, I'm sick and tired of talking about return to play protocols, though. We will talk a little bit about that in just a moment. Um, I'm sick and tired of talking about a virus. I want to talk about football. Thank goodness we get 14 real games across the country. I know our listeners are excited, Dunkster. I know we're excited. Let's go. Well, I know you don't want to hear it, Hodge, but we'll get 14 games per team if COVID doesn't play fast. Ah, don't be a hater. 
<laughs> don't be I a mean, hater. I'm not saying it's going to, and it is certainly positive. I don't want to be a hater, trust me, but it is certainly positive that we're coming out of the pandemic and you can sort of see the end in sight. The virus is always going to be around in some form or fashion. I mean, it'd be great to be eradicated, but the fact that we're playing football is positive from that standpoint for sure. And we got the schedule. Hodge, what stands out to you most? And we don't want to nitpick because we're talking about actual football, but there are some weird quirks. Well, there are some weird quirks. You've got uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Ottawa Red Blacks not even playing each other, which uh, I was kind of critical of. I'm still ecstatic. Of course, we're getting a season, but the fact that Paul Apolise and Matt Nichols, who we're also going to talk about in a little bit on the show, aren't returning to Winnipeg, I think was a missed opportunity. That would have been a big storyline, and it would have been a great opportunity for the Bombers to sell some tickets. Um, then you've got a situation where the Argos and the Ticats, I think, are playing each other four times. In a 14-game mm-hmm. season, that is a massive uh, percentage of games. But I think the CFL is doing things like that. You know, the, the Stamps and the Elks play a ton of times. I think that's obviously to cut down on travel costs. And also, let's be honest, boost ticket revenue because obviously the Stamps and the Elks sell more tickets when they play each other. And fans from visiting teams can make the trip. The same is true for Ottawa and Montreal. The same is true for, for Toronto and Hamilton. So these these things make sense. The quirks are what they are. But a more regionalized schedule, I think, benefits the CFL from an interest perspective. It benefits them in a competitive aspect for the standings. And it certainly helps their pocketbooks as well with ticket sales and fan interest. On that note, though, don't you find it odd that the Riders and the Bombers only play twice and not four teams? Yeah. Four times, I it, should say. It's it's a little strange that the Bombers and the Riders don't play more, but at the same time, let's remember that Winnipeg and Regina are six and a half hours apart. Like, it's, it's not, you know... Just a short bus trip, man. Ah, uh, not really. It's, you know... The university teams do it all the time. Yeah, I know they do, but we're not all Southern Ontario people where, you know, you, you punt a football in Guelph and it lands in Brampton. Like, come on, we're, <laughs> we're prairie people. We're spread out. Um, so two games, yeah, you'd probably like to get three or four. Maybe that's something that the CFL will consider in future years is the further regionalization of the uh, of the schedule. But for now, I, I think it's fine to be at two. And in other places, three or four, I don't uh, I don't hate it either. Well, we're kind of going to get, in some form or fashion, I guess you could say, a third meeting between the Bombers and Riders. It's being discussed, but I really think it's going to happen in terms of joint practices during training camp. And it seems like both those franchises are going to have their training camps at their home stadium. And from a revenue standpoint, I wonder if that's really driving this decision, potentially, if it does go through for the Bombers and the Riders to have some controlled scrimmages, joint practices, whatever you want to call it. So do you think it's actually going to happen? And if so, what could they look like? I I absolutely think they're going to happen. It's not a guarantee yet at this point, but if you're a CFL team, you've got no preseason games. And let's, let's not forget, especially your veterans, it's been forever, right, since some of these guys played. You need the most opportunities possible 
to get guys reps, even the vets, even if you're the Bombers looking at Stanley Bryant and Zach Kolaris and guys who, you know, might not otherwise need, you know, preseason reps or lots of practice reps. If you're the Riders, Brennan Labatt, right, is not a guy who you'd necessarily be worried about in a normal year. Well, he, he hasn't played in almost two years. That's a lot of time off, and these guys are going to need an opportunity to get their bodies right. So, yes, I think we're going to see joint practices. I know there's been some chatter of a potential scrimmage between the Stamps and the Elks uh, in the province of Alberta. And uh, I would imagine the situation on the prairies is is going to look similar if it happens. I was talking to a coach this week, and he made an interesting point that I never really thought of. Maybe it's because I haven't played football since at the University of Guelph 2009. But he talked about players not necessarily having that hard edge anymore and that in week one guys are going to be flying around he really felt like at a hundred percent and giving it their all but then their bodies might really feel that because that's going to be the first time regardless of whether you do a controlled scrimmage or joint practices that you feel that toll on your body for 60 minutes that players were used to on a yearly basis like yes they have the time in the off season to rest and recover but you get in such a rhythm and we know that, you know, playoffs or the end of the regular season will come in early November or late October, but still, and then some teams obviously go on to the end of November. So players were in this rhythm where they take a couple months off and they get back hard at training, and then all of a sudden you're back on the field. So your body has that hard edge. I really thought it was a great way to explain it. And that now that they've been gone for so long, that getting used to that contact again and developing that hard edge is going to take some time. Yeah, so here's my question for you. You think Craig Dickinson is going to let Bomber defensive linemen take runs at Cody Fajardo in practice in a scrimmage? Definitely. Not. Of course. So <laughs> let's so let's let's also frame it like this. Do these guys need to to do some hitting? Yeah, probably some do. Probably some of them need to get back into the rhythm of things and develop that hard edge. But let's also be be fully honest. Craig Dickinson is not going to let anybody even breathe on Cody Fajardo in the preseason and it has nothing to do with COVID he's still going to insist that players social distance from Cody Fajardo and I don't blame him for that because behind him they got nobody who is proven on any level and guess what the situation is the same in Winnipeg behind Zach Kolaris the Bombers have nobody who is proven on any level the difference is Zach Kolaris has a long string of injuries in his history and he's closer to the end of his career than the beginning whereas Cody Fajardo has generally a pretty clean bill of health and he's still uh, on the uh, the front nine of his career as opposed to the back nine so yes I think we'll see some hitting but let's also be honest it's going to be the rookies and the unproven guys doing all the hitting the the veterans who teams know they need to rely upon those guys I would I would I would suggest it's safe to assume will uh, will not be the ones taking or delivering hellacious shots in training camp we got to hold up hold up here a second you're going on and on about the riders not having a proven guy behind them isaac harker's over here with his hand up saying okay, hey how many uh, i completed 82 percent of my passes how many starts is he against won? edmonton how many starts is he in won? a how many, win how many starts they got them how many the starts top overall seed. How he's one and oh starts has he won one and oh and, and okay Playing against the second and third stringers for Edmondson. Is that correct? I'm just saying. Give him credit where it's due. It's not zero. He's got a win on his resume. Okay. Isaac Harker, one win. 
So uh, we'll book the Grey Cup parade next week, I guess. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ontario Sport Minister Lisa McLeod released a return to play framework for, for professional teams in Ontario. Dunkster, take us through it. All right, so it essentially lays out what the NHL teams had to go through in Ontario to play the Senators and the Maple Leafs. And I don't want to go into the nitty-gritty details because, to be quite honest, we know a bunch of them already. It's largely about you know wearing PPE where necessary and also going through all the COVID-19 protocols and the testing. And one of the keys came out recently with the league getting 60,000 rapid COVID-19 tests from the federal government, you know, that's a worth of at least a couple million dollars, if not more, if I'm doing my math right. So the fact that that's in there as well is going to make another safer layer for them to come back to play. The other point I wanted to get to, and I thought Tim McAuliffe of Tim and Friends on Sportsnet did a great job. The show airs 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on Sportsnet. If you ever want to check it out, Timmy's done a solid job taking it on his own. He felt like McLeod was grandstanding on a day where she well knew that the league was going to come out and most likely announce a yes vote as the season was going ahead. She had her press conference at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Hodge. So I felt like that was a valid point by Timmy in terms of her trying to get some shine off of the CFL's big-time announcement. How do you feel about that? Well, hey, politician gonna politician. That's hardly... That's hardly a new thing. Yes. What? What? A politician wanted to wrap themselves in glory that they may or may not have deserved. Wow. That's whoo. That's shocking. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not surprised by that. One thing I will say about the return to play protocol is Tom Pelissero reported today a really extensive list of differences for the NFL's protocols this season between players who are vaccinated and unvaccinated. An insider talk this week. I had a comment from an anonymous source who told me that lots of teams in the CFL still have less than half their rosters vaccinated. To me, I'm not a doctor, but that seems like a recipe for a COVID-19 breakout. That, to me, is an interesting thing to follow. As of now, the CFL does not have any difference in their protocols regarding vaccinated players and unvaccinated players. I'm interested to see if that changes, and if so, how. All right, Saskatchewan Rough Riders head coach Craig Dickinson said he expects some surprise cuts in training camp this year and warn players that they'll need to be ready to compete because those young guys are hungry. Do you think he's right? Absolutely, right? I mean, in the football world, I mean, careers are super short at the best of times. And, you know, I think there are some teams who have been guilty of going out and signing free agents and really paying them for past performance rather than what they're going to do in the future. An example I'll, I'll throw out there, for instance, is you know the Bombers going out in, in 2019 and signing Chris Matthews. Well, they weren't paying Chris Matthews for what he had done or what he was going to do because he wasn't a very effective weapon for them. He, he was somebody who they'd paid for his past performance, right? I've, every player hits a wall at some point in their career, whether it's age, mileage, whatever. And when you've been off for two years, you haven't taken a hit, and you've got... A wealth, and let's 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 not even forget. You've got guys from the CFL, you got guys from the NFL, but we also have players who, coming out of college in 2020, 
and, and late 2019 weren't coming to the CFL first. They were going to the XFL and the AAF first. So you've got two or three years worth of college players from the States who some have been, been, been in the NFL, some have been in XFL, some have been in the AAF, and they're all vying for jobs. And so if I was a veteran CFL player and I wasn't retiring, I was. we'll talk about that in a moment, and I was coming back to camp, yes, you bet your bottom dollar. I'm going to be working my tail off to be ready because there are guys coming for your job, and when budgets are tight, who are the GMs going to want to go with? Are they going to want to go with the guy who's going to cost them Six figures, or are they going to go with the guy who's happy to make the league minimum 65, potentially even prorated over 14 games? The answer is, is pretty obvious. If you're a veteran player, you got to come ready to compete. Dickey is absolutely bang on. He is, and I think it's just a warning sign. I think a lot of the veterans know how to get their body right. Yes, it's been a longer layoff, but if anything, to me, that benefits them. And Hodge, we've seen over the years, man, largely it's the more veteran-laden teams that win the Grey Cup. Like those are the teams that are the contending teams. Now you can make an argument that with the Calgary Stampeders, Bo Levi Mitchell essentially, especially on offense, can make a star out of just about any receiver. Now he's had a lot of talent around him, so I'm not saying that none of those pass catchers don't have any talent because some of them have gone to the NFL, but I'm saying it's going to be difficult to cut some of those vets in a short season, especially if you're planning on competing for the Grey Cup, and that's what most of these teams are doing. Yeah, that's a valid point. Without preseason games, there is definitely a bit of a leg up there, I suppose, for the Vets. Uh, Ottawa Red Blacks defensive back Jean-Philippe Bolduc announced his retirement this past week at the age of 30. Dunkster, do you think we're going to see more retirements over the next seven weeks as training camp approaches? Yeah, I'm not sure there'll be official retirements, but... I would imagine there'll be a number of guys that have settled into, let's say, quote, their life after football and are thinking, hey, should I leave, let's say, in some cases that I've heard about, a six-figure job to go back to the CFL for a 14-game season where they're not going to make as much. And they're thinking, hey, in my post-life career, I've already sort of hit fast forward on that. And I'm at a point where, you know, I could see myself in a couple of years continuing to up my salary in that world and not having to put your body through the physical rigors of a season. So I think there's going to be some, but the guys that love football are going to play. Yeah, I agree with that. I've been chatting with some sources, and there are lots of players on the fence right now, um, but I have heard uh, upwards of uh, approximately 20 is the number I'm hearing right now for players who have more or less decided they are going to retire and as you said, officially or unofficially, I think there are some teams who are going to try to convince their guys not to retire. Maybe instead of retiring, you sit on the suspended list. And uh, one reason for that could be if a team does have a COVID outbreak. Well, if they've got a guy on the suspended list uh, who they can just bring in for one game and maybe doesn't have to quarantine, right? If he's a Canadian player living in the city already, well, hey, we'll put you on the suspended list to start the season, and if we need you, we'll sign you to a contract, move you off the suspended list, or, or re-up you in some way. You can get creative with it, make it work uh, for the player and the team. Uh, I've heard that could be an option, but yes, there's going to be retirements. Some One source said to me, we have yet, to, like, like Bullduck and the other retirements we've seen as of late are the peak of the iceberg. That was the quote. The peak of the iceberg, everything else is yet to come. Um, I don't know how impactful these players are, but I definitely think there will be some household names in 2021 who do not return to the field. 
that's the key though, is how many of these guys are difference makers. No disrespect, but I'm sure there are some coaching staffs out there that think, hey, if I get a young guy and put him in that spot, then I can coach him up. He's not going to be as good, but maybe they overall end up saving some money. You know, I don't want to see a bunch of these guys retire either, but whatever decision is best for them, that's on them to make. Paul Apelis and Matt Nichols spoke on TSN 1200 radio in Ottawa this week about everyone's seemingly low expectations <laughs> for the Red Blocks. For the Red Blacks, who finished 3-15 and in 2019. It seems like it was so long ago, but man, they were bad. Nichols said he wants everyone to pick the team to finish dead last, while Lapolis said he doesn't want his team to worry about the noise outside of the building. That's obviously negative noise. What are your expectations for the Red Blacks this season? Do they go over three wins, Hodge? I think they go over three wins, but my expectations are still very low, to be to be brutally honest. Uh, Matt Nichols had arguably the best offensive line in the CFL in Winnipeg. Uh, he had the best running back in the CFL uh, in Winnipeg. Now, he's got the guru of that offense as his head coach, Paul Apolis, who's probably a better game planner than any coach in the CFL. Brilliant play caller, does a great job of setting his talent up for success. I just have so many questions about the talent level on that roster. I don't think they've improved the defense very much and the offense that desperately needed firepower. Remember remember three, four, five years ago when the Red Blacks were terrible on offense and they went out and they signed, what was it? They, they signed Brad Sinopoli, they signed Chris Williams, they signed Ernest Jackson, they signed Deontay Spencer. They, they basically went out and bought a receiving court. Well, the only player of note they really added on offense from a firepower standpoint was Jalen Saunders, who they just had moved to the retirement list as he recoups from a terrible car accident. So my expectations are low, Dunkster. How about you? Well, I mean, on that note, to be fair, they think Devontae Deadman can be a rising star, but we really mostly only saw that as a returner in 2019, and it's not necessarily the easiest transition to make. I think that's what makes Kyran Moore so special, is that he can be a 1,000-yard receiver, but also a dynamite returner, and then obviously at the top of that list would be a Brandon Banks, who entered the league and was used primarily as a returner under Kent Austin. And then June Jones saw that ability as a receiver and he sticks banks out there and he's had a thousand yards every year since. So could Deadman do that? It's possible, but until you actually see it, it leaves a lot of question marks. Now, the biggest question mark for me in Ottawa is, and you sort of got at this, how much can Paul Lapolis make up for in terms of their lack of playmakers, or let's say proven playmakers, to come out of a shortened training camp without any preseason games right into the season? And all of these guys as well, you know, aside from Matt Nichols, have to learn an entirely new, fairly, maybe I should even say very complex offense. Yeah, and, and one thing I'll add before the break is, they might have gone out and signed five guys who are fantastic. We just haven't heard their names yet because we haven't gone through training camp and all that. But if you had me rank the nine receiving cores right now and the nine running backs in the CFL, Ottawa would be at the bottom of both lists. That's, that, that's right now. It's not the season, but for right now, they're number nine. They were number nine at the end of the 2019 season. And currently, they're number nine. It's not a good place to be. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. 
We now welcome you back for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 1987, Jim Cood passed away at the age of 35 due to ALS. The, mission, the Michigan product spent seven seasons with the Ottawa Rough Riders from 1974 to 1980, winning a great cup with the team in 1976. Named the CFL's most outstanding offensive lineman in 1978, Cood was given the Tom Pate Memorial Award in 1980 when he played four games following his ALS diagnosis. His number 60 was retired by the Rough Riders, a decision the Red Blacks have honored since re-entering the league in 2014. Dunkster, could you imagine playing professional sports after being diagnosed with ALS? Dude, that's like some superhero stuff, man. I could not at all. That's an amazing story, Haji. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders signed linebacker Dion Lacey. Is that a big deal? It is, man. That guy is versatile. I'm curious to see where they use him on defense. Could be multiple spots. The Stampeders signed former NFL defensive lineman Casanova McKenzie. How amazing is that name? That is one of the best names to come into the CFL in probably the last 10 years. Special teams coordinator A.J. Gass left the Elks due to personal reasons. How much does that hurt them? That's going to be a tricky one, man, to find a coach now when a bunch of guys have had to take in pay cuts. From what I was told, it was a sudden leave because Gass had been preparing for the potential joint practices between Edmonton and Calgary. The Stampeders added former Montreal Alouettes defensive coordinator Bob Slowick to their coaching staff. Can he help them win games? I think he can. He came to the CFL knowing nothing about the league, and he helped make Montreal's defense better, despite, I think, some personnel issues that were there in 2019. According to team president Rick Lawlisher, the BC Lions are hoping to start the season with 5,000 fans at home. Is that reasonable? Certainly. I mean, hopefully for the Lions and the CFL, there's more there at BC Place, but we'll see how they work through their reopening plan. The lawyer for Ottawa Red Blacks, Canadian defensive lineman Chris Larson, said Toronto police have cleared him as a suspect in the alleged hate crime. Your thoughts? Well, I, I mean, I'm glad that the legal process has taken its course. Um, my thoughts go out to the victim of this crime. I hope that the person responsible for committing it is brought to justice. Canadian offensive lineman Laurent Duvernay-Tardif has been named a finalist for ESPN's Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award. How awesome is that? It's amazing, man. Some people have sports caves in their houses or maybe trophy rooms. He's going to need an entire house by the end of his career. <laughs> the 56 Vanier Cup is slated to be played at Laval University on Saturday, December 4th. Chris, just love it. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I was hearing rumors as recently as a month ago that this game was going to be cancelled, so the fact that we've got a location and a date, I think, is a huge step in the right direction. Last one. We regret to report that former CFL offensive lineman John Hemister-Reese passed away at the age of 37. Three Down Nation would like to extend its sincerest condolences to his family, friends, teammates, coaches, and to the entire BC Lions organization. Rest in peace. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.